Today at the Radio Backyard Fence, our guest writes, I wish I could say that the American church is a safe place to be real and authentic. But for many, that isn't the case. The church has become a place to hide, not be known. We've curated church cultures that only show the best versions of ourselves while hiding the real us. Is that true? Do you think he's right? And if you say yes, why is that true? Why do we hide? Why aren't we honest with each other? Why aren't we honest with God? And maybe the most confounding question and the biggest one is, why aren't we honest with ourselves? Justin Davis is back, and I think his message is going to resonate with you today. If you have an addiction, if you have a sin problem, maybe you're angry all the time, maybe you have jealousy, lust, instead of pretending it doesn't exist or trying to perform it away, you know, be good for as long as you can, Justin said there's a better way, and surrender is part of the equation. We're going to talk about that straight ahead on Chris Fabry Live. Thanks for being here online. ChrisFabryLive.org. Thanks to our team behind the scenes, Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T will be answering your calls today. We have two days left, just today and tomorrow, for you to receive our thank you this month, which is Dr. Bill Thrasher's How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life. And the truths in here go right along with the topic we'll be talking about today. Dr. Thrasher said he was very involved in the activity of prayer, but his prayer life was dead. He wasn't expecting anything to happen when he prayed. And that's one of the symptoms. You pray, but you don't really expect anything to happen. Can you be real enough to admit that your prayer life is not what you want it to be? I think that's the first step toward transformation, toward renewal. A listener gave a gift yesterday and left this note. I won't say her name, but she said, I hear God calling me, but I can't seem to get across the bridge to return home to him. I've never not been a believer, but I just don't have that close relationship with Jesus. I know it intellectually, but I'm not feeling it. And it was so refreshing to hear somebody be that real and honest. Our thank you for two more days is a little book that I think will make a big difference. Call or click through today. Give a gift of any size. I'd love to send you this from Dr. Thrasher, 866-95-FABRY or go to chrisfabrylive.org. The subtitle is Transforming Your Prayers into a Spirit-Empowered, Life-Giving Adventure. See what happens. See if you don't experience transformation in your prayer life after going through this. won't take you long, unless it does, because it did me, because I got into it, and it was like, I can't do a chapter a day. I got to take a half a chapter, because there's so much scripture. It's helpful. 866-953-2279. Or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down, you'll see how you can be a partner or a friend with us right there. There was another note left the other day. Um, Let me read this. Please pray for my weedy heart. W-E-E-D-Y. Please pray for my weedy heart and broken family. And it made me think of the... uh, the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my weedy heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. That's not a bad prayer. 
And a good way to begin with Justin Davis, author, speaker, pastor. He's dedicated his life to helping people experience life change through the power of authenticity. He co-founded Refine Us Ministries, where he shares his personal story with honesty and transparency, inspiring others to find the courage to do the same. He's co-author of the bestseller Beyond Ordinary, When a Good Marriage Just Isn't Good Enough, which he wrote with his wife, Tricia. He and Tricia live in Indianapolis. They have five children. His latest is Being Real, and then the mathematical greater than, less than sign. Being real is greater than being perfect. How transparency leads to transformation. Justin, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. This book, this new book comes from people asking you after they hear your story and you talking about uh, being beyond ordinary in your marriage. So how did you do it? How did you change, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, my wife, Trish, and I wrote Beyond Ordinary in 2013. And it really, that book was an overflow of our story of marriage and our the implosion of our relationship in 2005 when I had an affair uh, with my wife's best friend. And we, I was a pastor at the time, married for 10 years in 2005 and got out of ministry and never thought we'd ever be back in ministry. And by God's grace, uh, four years later, we were invited to share our story for the very first time of marriage redemption. And that really began to give us a passion for helping other people experience what we believe to be God's vision for marriage, which is an extraordinary marriage of intimacy. And so in 2009, we started traveling and speaking. And then in 2010, we started doing marriage conferences. And at the end of these conferences, or we'd be at a church on a Sunday morning, people would come up and say, okay, I, I get that you guys have restored your relationship, but how did you change? Like, how did you move from bitter to forgiving? How did you actually experience the life transformation that you're talking about. And that question just began to burn in my heart. And I began to realize that, man, every single Sunday, there's a lot of church going, God loving, song singing people that they want to experience transformation. And they actually probably thought that Christianity would bring more heart transformation than they are experiencing. And many are discouraged or disillusioned with the um, with with God, maybe God's ability or their ability to actually experience that transformation, and so this book really, it's not a marriage book. It's really written to the person that longs to see their life go beyond behavior modification and really God bring heart transformation. Yes, because part of your story too in that book and in this one is a pornography addiction that you didn't tell anybody about. And you didn't even, for your counselor, you wouldn't even admit that it was an addiction, right? Yeah, absolutely. So 30 days after I admitted the affair, my wife and I were separated uh, for two and a half months. Um, We didn't talk for the first 10 days. and, And during that separation, God began to break my heart for my marriage again. And so I started going to counseling and then a few days into, or 10 days into our separation, uh, Trish said that she was willing to go to counseling with me. 
And so we started going to counseling and we tell, we tell people we went to counseling four days a week for the next month. And the only reason we didn't go on Friday is because the counselor was closed. Um, but so if you feel like your marriage is in trouble, our counselor wanted to see us four days a week. That's how messed up we were. But uh, God began to use the frequency of those counseling sessions to peel back layers of brokenness and hiddenness and half-truths that we hadn't taken the time or had the courage to talk about. But even 30 days in, um, I still did not feel um, like I could admit that I was sexually abused when I was a kid and I'd never talked about it, never told anyone about it, and that I had a pornography addiction. And my counselor said something 30 days into counseling that really changed the trajectory of my life. He said, Justin, unconfessed sin always leads to repeated behavior. And so if you don't want to be back here in, in three days or three years or 13 years, you need to come clean now. And honestly, Chris, it was, it was very uh, vulnerable and very risky to, and to be that honest. But I realized it wasn't about my marriage relationship anymore. It was about me finally living in a free and right relationship with God. And so I did. I admitted the, the sexual abuse and I admitted the pornography. At that time, I, I told him it was a struggle. And, uh, and then he began to work with me to actually admit that it was an addiction. And it was through that process that I began to learn that we, that God only heals the parts of our heart that we're willing to give to him. Right. And, and if he doesn't, he doesn't heal the parts of us that we pretend are okay. And I had spent the first 10 years of my marriage and the first 10 years of ministry pretending that aspects of my relational world and aspects of my relationship with God were better than they really were. And those were the parts of my life that were not experiencing change or transformation. So pretending, putting on the mask, being someone that you think other people want you to be, that was that was part of the coping mechanism that you had. And I think, and I don't want to uh, down the church at all, you know, the church gets a lot of arrows shot at it. But I think, you know, it's it's worth looking at uh, who we are in in the church and what we say. We say, come as you are. Right. But what we mean a lot of times is clean clean yourself up before you come here because if you do this or that or the other thing, it's going to be too it's too hard and too messy. Or just keep that to yourself because I don't want to get embroiled. You know, it, it's life is really difficult. So that's why I'm glad that you've written this. Being real is greater than being perfect. How transparency leads to transformation. There's a question on Facebook that we have for you. When when you were authentic with people in your church, when you were real, when you were honest, finally, what happened with that? Did they accept you? Did they listen to the struggle and the, the story, the addiction, whatever it was that was going on in your life, in your heart? Did they turn you away? Or did they receive that and walk with you? Um, we're going to talk with Justin more about that. And I have a quote from Nathaniel Hawthorne that I'm going to read to him that I found. I'm so excited about this. It goes along with our conversation here today. Here's the number, 877-548-3675. The book is Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect. Find out more, chrisfabrylive.org. Justin Davis says being real is greater than being 
perfect. We're talking about it today at the back fence. You can find out more. We have a link. Click through today's uh, information, today's program information at chrisfabrylive.org. And now from Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, a quote for Justin that I found just for him. Quote, no man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true. <laughs> oh, Isn't man. that good? Oh, that is so good. That is so good. I, uh, I, I've read the Scarlet Letter a few times, I think once in high school and then another time um, after I graduated from college. But I wish I would have found that quote or remembered that that quote uh, for actually for the book because that that yes. would have been really powerful to it include. Goes, well, really you've good. got you got a ton of great quotes in here, but I, when I found that was like, this is exactly what you're saying, which leads us into and people are answering that question on Facebook. You know, when you were authentic, when you were real with people at your church, what happened? Um, what what is your response to that question? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you look at any national survey uh, by any you know religious organization that that kind of pulls people on what they're looking for in a church, authenticity is usually at the top of the list, right? After you get past the sub-ministries of, of kids' ministry or youth ministries, um, people want authenticity. I think especially in our culture where we've seen so much church scandal or pastoral scandal, authenticity is this buzzword. Well, the problem with that philosophy is, yeah, we all want authentic churches, but the problem is you and I are the church. Right. We, we are the church. It's not the institution that makes up the church. It's the people. And so as we are striving and desiring authenticity in our local church, I think it's imperative for us to look inside and say, man, am I being the most authentic version of myself? And I'm, am I bringing that into my faith community? Because we can't bring inauthentic versions of ourselves into our churches and then magically expect them to become places of authenticity. It's as we are personally committed to living a life of integration and integrity and authenticity uh, that we're able then to be a place of authenticity for for a broken world. What does that look like, though? What because you know it, because there is this you can you can exhibit everything and you can talk about oh yeah and and be the on the, like on Facebook you know you see right. everything that they do it is a, yeah it's like no that's not that's you say that's not authenticity that's uh, fake right well i do think that there is that you know that classic oversharer in you mm-hmm. know in a small group environment where you you get like uh, you know, all of the, all of the person you kind of spill in their whole world and life to you at the first small group meeting, which is kind of repelling, or you get that, that person that's willing to kind of be, you know, overshare, you know, overshare their life on Facebook or social media. And I think most of the time, that's not the version of authenticity that God calls us to. That person is looking for attention or they're, they're looking for sympathy. They're not necessarily looking for transformation. Yes. Right. And so, when I think of appropriate vulnerability, I think of, you know, um, you being vulnerable in the context of a trusted relationship, whether that be with uh, a spiritual mentor, a good friend, a spouse, in the context of a, of a small group where the goal of, of authenticity isn't just to share so people know, um, you know, the broken parts of you. The, the goal of authenticity is always 
for life change, right? It's why James chapter five or 16 says, um, you know, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, not for forgiveness, because Jesus has already given us that, but for healing, right? So, so James is, is identifying that there's a cathartic, there's a healing aspect of confession in the context of a trusted, you know, uh, relationship that brings the transformation that we so desperately desire. If that's true, and if what the real healing comes from that community with especially a one-on-one thing or in a group of trusted friends, why don't we do it? What's, what's the, what's the, why is it such a big hurdle for us to get over? Well, I don't think any of us compromise truth in relationships because we want to be liars. And I don't think that any of us pretend to be better than we really are because we want to be fake, right? I think we all want to be loved. And so what happens so often in the context of relationships is we compromise who we actually are, not because we want to be fake, but because we're fearful that if, man, if that person really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And the problem with that is we can only be loved to the extent that we're known, right? And so if, if we're placing a cap on, on, on others' ability to know us, they can't fully love us. And I think the same thing happens in our relationship with God. We have this belief system, and maybe it's something that we grew up with. Maybe it's, it's how we view the church or how we view God growing up, that, man, if God really knew me, he wouldn't love me. And so I can't really be honest with him about this struggle or this insecurity or this fear or this relationship. And the great news today is that God knows us fully and he loves us anyway. And that's grace, right? That's, that's how God meets us. And so it's as we bring our authentic self to, to God and to others that we're able to experience that transformation. You tell a story about your daughter and the teacher and, and bringing papers home. Uh, tell that story because it, it perfectly illustrates what you're talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> My wife and I adopted, um, we have three biological sons, um, and we adopted our son and daughter, Jalen and Janiah, um, when they were seven and nine. And they are from inner city Indianapolis and, and spent a lot of time in foster care. And the first year that they lived with us, when, when Janiah was seven, um, she completed the second grade. That was the first time in her life that she had completed school at the school that she started. Um, and so she was really behind academically and our, our older kids, they didn't struggle academically because they had a, a you know, an educational foundation. And so I think she assumed that we had this expectation of her getting perfect grades and, and not struggling in school. And, and so, um, she had a paper that she was supposed to have signed that she didn't get a, you know, a good grade on and she left it in her backpack and her teacher emailed me. And I just said, Janiah, where's, where's this, you know, this paper that, that you didn't do well that I needed to sign. And she's like, it's in my backpack. And I said, well, why it's in your back? Why is it in your backpack? She says, I know that you don't want to see my bad grades. And so there's just this assumption that I was not going to love her. I was not going to accept her if I knew that she was struggling or I knew that she had, you know, gotten an F or gotten a bad grade. And, and I think we bring the same assumption to God, you know, that we hide some of the, the broken parts of our life um, out of shame, out of guilt, sometimes out of regret. Um, but it's, it, it is as we bring those broken parts and the failures that we've experienced to the Lord, 
that he's able to not just forgive us, but then also to, to bring healing to our hearts. And isn't that the, the trick of the enemy that would keep hmm. us from the very, you know, for life, I came to give you life and give it abundantly. The very thing that would give you life, being who you are, going to your father, uh, earthly or your heavenly father, and and saying, look, God, here's here's the truth. I know you know this already, but I will bring it to you that when the healing begins there, we are kept from it by the belief that, well, he's not going to like me if I tell him this. Um, there, and there's a there's also the pattern of living in front of your kids in ways that show this non-authenticity. And you're very honest about your growing up and the, the fracture in the family and the home. Your your parents were divorced. But there was there's another scene of you guys driving to church because he worked six days a week. So Sunday was basically the day that you saw him all the time. And right. it was when there was an awful lot of conflict, right? Yeah, I, I say quite often my parents didn't fight all the time, just when they were together. And <laughs> um and <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of the times that we spent together were on Sundays because my dad, we, we, I grew up pretty poor. My, my, my dad um, uh, worked in a factory. And so he was, he was working quite a bit and, but church was like the, we we're there the, you know, every time the doors were open, it was kind of the mantra of our family. And oftentimes my parents would get, I don't have a lot of great memories of Sundays because my parents argued a lot of Sundays and I'm not talking just arguing. I'm talking, you know, just, some knockdown drag outs, you know, the cops would be called, um, you know, it was, it was volatile there. My dad would leave or he would be taken away in a police car because of, uh, physical violence with my mom. And so we were constantly walking on eggshells, um, on Sundays, it felt like. And, um, one particular Sunday we all get in the car. I have, uh, three younger siblings and my parents get into an argument and it's one of those where everybody gets involved and everybody's crying. We pull up to, you know, the church parking lot and it's like the church parking lot miracle happens. Uh, you know, where my dad's like, all right, dry it up. We're going into church to worship the Lord. And, you know, and, and so there was this expectation that what we're going through right now, we can't take into there. Like what you know, the conflict, the the sadness, the the fear, the uncertainty that we're feeling in the car. There's no place for that in worship, and I don't think that wasn't projected on us by the church. That was that right. was how my parents, you know, perceived of like we can't be. And what was so ironic, Chris, is um, we send it around in our family group chat uh, once a year. But that particular Sunday was church directory picture day. And, um, and so, uh, if those of you that, that, uh, remember church directories, if you don't, uh, know what a church directory, think Facebook, but, uh, or think a yearbook, but only for the church, you know? And, um, and so there's this church directory picture of all of us with red eyes, swollen, you know, our eyes are all swollen. We, you could tell we've been crying and nobody looks happy. And, and that was, uh, a, a picture that lived on in infamy, even after my parents' divorce. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Later on, you found out that he really wasn't your biological father. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's um, that, that's uh, an, a twist to the story as well. My, my parents got divorced after thirty six years of marriage. Um, my my dad had a secret sexual life and brokenness that none of us knew anything about. It it kind of 
came out all at once. Um, and Trish and I were um, about three and a half years into our restoration after our marriage imploded. And so being a person of truth and telling the truth and being honest was a huge core value of our family. And, and so my, my, my mom discovers all of this about my dad and she begins to feel convicted that she hasn't been truthful with me. And so, um, in 2009, she came over to my house and told me that, um, she needed to talk with me and she let me know that she met my dad when she was eight months pregnant with me and that he wasn't my biological father. And she could have told me that I was from Mars at the time. I, it would have made more sense. Um, but there was this disclosure that she, you know, shared with me um, that really turned my life upside down. And it really, looking back on my life, it, it began to make a lot of things make sense. But then there was this reality of, of so much hiddenness and so much pretending and so much untruth that we had lived in growing up um, that I, I began to kind of unpack and realize that, man, in order to prevent this from being passed on, right, what, what isn't healed is usually projected. I wanted to find healing and, 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 uh, and wholeness from this situation. You probably know this, but there are so many people who would hang on to that and would never tell their son or their daughter the truth about that. So your mom was in a way modeling the very thing that you're talking about here today. Being real is greater than being perfect. Justin Davis is with us, and we're going to find out more about what happened to you in church when you were authentic. 877-548-3675. How many people hold on to a secret and don't tell anybody about what happened back there and never begin that healing journey that's available to them through the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of God? How many people hold on to that because they're ashamed of something that happened to them? I've been telling you a lot about CareNet over the last few months and their ARC ministry, Abortion Recovery and Care. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org and click the green CareNet button, you'll see more about their work. They love saving the baby's lives, absolutely. They love giving help to unwed, uh, unplanned pregnancy. You know, a woman has that, and and a man who's there with them. It's like, you can do this. We can help you. We'll come alongside you, support. There's, There's an awful lot of help, but there's also help for those who are looking back with great regret and great shame, there is transformation. There is forgiveness. There is new life. As a matter of fact, the person who was on with us a little earlier in this month who leads the abortion recovery and care ministry herself had an abortion, and she is allowing the pain and the struggle that she went through and the choice that she made to bring life to other people. What might happen if you would click the green care net button, maybe for you, maybe for somebody that you know who's going to need that. 
Uh, it's a great resource, and I hope you will today. Click the CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org, where you'll also find out about Justin Davis. Being real is greater than being perfect. How transparency leads to transformation. Talk about that, you know, people holding that secret, your mom holding that secret. And I don't know what caused her to to be honest and be real with you, you know, what pushed her over the edge. I'm sure glad that she did that. What holds people back from doing it? Is, is it the shame? I do think it's shame. I think, you know, anytime that you are honest with someone, there is a risk, right? I mean, Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, the truth will set you free. What he conveniently leaves out is it will probably make you miserable first, right? Mm-hmm. But that short-term misery for long-term freedom is always a trade worth making. And, you know, we, we talked in the last segment about, you know, my dad and, and just this hidden secret life of sexual sin that he had and that that was a part of my parents' marriage for 36 years. And I think my mom, we were all really in, emphasizing to my dad, just be, just tell the truth. If you want to you know, if you want to heal your marriage, just just be a person of truth. Just come clean with everything. And I think that emphasis on being a person of truth really began to eat at my mom. And there was a there was a level of um of relationship and a level of intimacy that we could only experience to a certain degree because she had the secret that she had kept for me for 36 years. And so Obviously, after she confessed that my dad wasn't my dad, um, it, it fractured our relationship just so I could process, you know, what I needed to process. But as we began to repair our relationship, there was a level of knowing and there was a level of intimacy that we were able to develop in our relationship because she didn't have that guilt, that hiddenness, that, that secret that she was carrying. And it took, you know, it took a, a year, year and a half for us to repair our relationship. Um, but I'm so grateful that she, she had the courage to share because there was a level of healing and um, just an intimacy that we were able to establish in our relationship that would not have been there otherwise. Yes. Okay. So let me get you to respond to some of the folks on Facebook who answered okay. the question about when, when you were authentic, when you were real with people at church, then what happened? James says most, I want to respond to this, most Christians are afraid of transparency and authenticity and because of that run away from those things when they happen in a church setting. What do you think? Well, I do think that, I don't think it's just Christians that are afraid of transparency. I think all of us, you know, look at Adam and Eve, right? The mm-hmm. first thing that they did yes. when they failed was hide and then blame right? They, they hid from God and then Eve blamed the serpent, Adam blamed Eve and, and they, they hid from God. And what I love about that is God's response from the very first sin was he goes searching, right? He goes searching for them and he clothed them. And if you look at, you know, people all throughout scripture, um, our natural tendency when we fail, our natural tendency when we sin isn't to confess, it's to hide. You know, the person that was said to be a person after God's own heart, you know, he hid his sins yes. until yes. he was confronted, right? And, and, but after he was confronted, he was repentant. 
and it was God that restored his relationship. And so I, I do think that there is a natural tendency for all of us um, to hide, but there is also redemption and freedom and healing that comes as we are honest and as we um, stop pretending and stop performing and actually bring God our authentic self. You mentioned David. Was there a Nathan in your life? Was there anybody who said, hey, is is there something going on here, Justin? What's what's up with you? What's this? Anybody who cared enough to tell you a story, you know, about a guy and and the lamb and the traveler, anybody like that? Yeah, I mean, I had I, looking back on, um, you know, the the affair that happened in two thousand and five. Um, my wife and I started a church in two thousand and two. I was uh, twenty nine; she was twenty seven at the time, and um, we had been married um, seven years when we started the church. And the church went from twelve people to seven hundred people in three years. I mean, it was just a fast growing thing. God was all over it. It was it was incredible. And about six weeks before the affair started, um, one of our board members asked if I could come over to his house on a Sunday afternoon, and he wanted to go on a four a quad a quad ride, a four wheeler ride. So he had a couple uh, four wheelers, and so we go throughout kind of his. He has a farm, and so we're riding these these quads. We stop next to this pond, and we're just sitting there throwing rocks in this pond, and. He starts sharing with me very vulnerably some marriage issues that he's walking through, just some ways that nothing sinful, just ways that he and his wife are are disconnecting. And he's the CEO of a corporation here in town. He, you know, multi-million dollar uh, uh, company that he's leading, and he's just being very vulnerable. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Justin, this is safe. Like he's a safe person. You can tell him about how you and Trish are struggling. You can tell him some of the things you're going through. And at the very same time, Chris, I felt this other voice say, he's your biggest giver. Mm. He's the chairman of your board. He could get you fired. And I just remember dialing down that voice of the Holy Spirit from that moment. And, you know, it, it goes back to that, that passage of scripture that says, you know, no temptation has overtaken us. That which is common to man, but God is faithful and he'll not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. And with the temptation, he'll provide a way to escape. And I felt like looking back now, 18 years you know, later, um, that was my escape. God, God was being faithful and he was providing that escape. And could it have caused problems in my ministry? Probably. But the, the problems and the damage would have been far less had I been vulnerable and honest then compared to what took place, you know, six to eight weeks later as the extramarital affair started and then was confessed and revealed. Hmm. See if you agree with what Robin says, which goes right along with what you're just saying. She says, to me, real and authentic is reserved for those with whom I already have a relationship. I think you learn early in life whom you can trust and whom you can't. Not all people are ready for the entirety of a person's story. So in my experience, a wise person will gauge the audience when sharing themselves, whether one-on-one or in a larger group setting. You agree with that? I do. You know, I think that that is um, a lot of wisdom in that. And I think, you know, for, for many of us, 
um, we have a difficult time being real and authentic, even in smaller settings. Uh, I, I am a huge proponent of counseling and, um, I was going to a counselor a few years ago and as a pastor, you know, I try to be authentic. I try to be vulnerable. And, and so we, we were talking and he said, Justin, he said, why is it, why is it easier for you to share what you share from the stage with hundreds of people? Than it is a few people. It's like you're, 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 you can be more vulnerable with big crowds, but you struggle with being vulnerable in, in small settings. And it was just this reminder to me to always be developing, you know, the types of relationships that she mentions there of one of trust, uh, one of a mutual respect so that we can develop that spirit of authenticity. I mean, if you look at Jesus, he had the 12, but he also had three that he was really intimately close with that, that he shared very vulnerable moments with. And if the son of God is willing to do that, I think we should be willing to do that as well. Justin says, God can change who you are. What God can't do is make you into who you pretend to be. (laughs) Isolation is an enemy of transformation. Authenticity is the pathway to transformation. So in our final segment, I want I want the how, not the fix. We don't need to be fixed. This is not a fix-it program. This is, all right, so how do I take a step to be real? Being real is greater than being perfect is our featured resource. Go to chrisfayrelive.org, chrisfayrelive.org. D.L. Moody said he'd rather teach one person to pray than 10 people to preach. (laughs) And that is all over this book by Dr. Bill Thrasher. I mentioned this a little earlier. The last two days, if you give a gift of any size, we're sending you How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, call or click through. And uh, even today, thank you for the, the support that's coming in here the last couple of days of the month. Appreciate you. Supporting us. Being real is greater than being perfect is written by Justin Davis. This is not about behavior modification. This is not about towing the line, getting God to like me. So I do the quid pro quo. I do good things. He likes me. I do bad things. He doesn't like me. Um, So in this last segment, I... I want to be fixed. You know, tell me the things that I need to do in order to get my life on an even keel like you have, you know, compare, despair. Um, <laughs> what do I What do? I do? What's the first step to being real? Well, I think that's, you know, the Christian formula that we're all, des- you know, desiring, right? I think if I could, like, if I could boil it down to a two plus two equation, then um, I would have sold a lot more copies of this book. But, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the ways that I frame it in the book is I, I, I frame it as a, as a path, which would imply it's a journey, right? And it's, it's, sometimes it's not linear. But I think <clears throat> for, for many of us, the first step in moving from trying to be perfect or pretending to be perfect or performing to be perfect to actually being real and authentic is to realize that our brokenness isn't weakness. Right. And so often I think we look at the broken things in our life and we think that those are, uh, you know, that God would be ashamed of us. But it's as we as we admit our brokenness, 
and realize that it's through our weaknesses that Christ's strength becomes ours, that we we understand that God is waiting to do something in us that we don't have the strength to do on our own, and that's change. God is, it's, you know, we are a new creation in Christ, not through our own works or our own willpower, but through the redeeming work of Jesus. So I think that is really kind of the first step. And then I think we have to kind of understand our propensity to, to, to live, to please other people. Uh, you know, we were talking off air just about how this people, the people pleasing chapter uh, has really resonated with a lot of people. And, and when we live to please others, one, we make ourselves miserable, but it's almost impossible to live to please God. And, and so it's recognizing that there are aspects of my life that I'm, I am conforming to try to please others. And how do I need to realign my life uh, to be more pleasing to God and to be more obedient to God? And then I think, you know, moving into this idea of being brutally honest with God and being willing to have honest and vulnerable conversations, not just with other people, but with God. And, you know, the people that were closest to Jesus had the most honest conversations with him. And, and so I think that is, is a really huge component of, you know, you, you've been talking about resurrecting a dead prayer life and our willingness to have authentic conversations with God um, will determine our uh, our um, ability to experience transformation. We've got to be real with him. So we've got to be real with ourselves, and we've got to stop spiking the stuff. So talk to the uh, the man or the woman who's listening today who's had the affair, who's in the middle of it, and they don't yeah. like what they're doing, you know, and they keep— Falling back into it, it keep, keeps happening again as if it's not a choice. Well, what do you say to that person who's caught in that or, or some kind of lust, pornography, whatever? Well, I think, you know, for, for many of us who find ourselves in a repeated pattern of sin or a repeated pattern of, of destruction, destructive behavior, one of the biggest drivers of that is shame. And shame is different than conviction. Conviction of sin says, hey, what you're doing is against God's best for you and what you're doing is wrong and you need to go in another direction. Where shame says you are a bad person because of what you've done. And so often when we get caught in this cycle of shame, um, we are we are prone to repeat the same behavior. And, and so I, I talk about in the book of, you know, if we're going to experience transformation and allow God to change us, we have to give our shame to Jesus, that, that Christ died for our shame. That's why the Bible says now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so being willing to confess whatever we're caught in is the first step. And then receiving that forgiveness and allowing that to redefine our future rather than, than our, our sin and our past to determine our future, I think is really important. But the people on the outside looking into the church think, and, and some inside the church too, you know, here are the rules, here are the things that you do. You got to pray this amount of time. You got to, you got to go to church. You got to give this money. You got to, et cetera, et cetera, read your Bible every day. And following the rules does not equate with following Jesus. 
Um, you you say, right. and insecurity says you're not enough, so you strive to be more, and in doing so, you feel defeated in who you have or haven't become. So it's not about the performance, it's the surrender. That's toward the end of the book, you get right down and say, you got to surrender, right? Yeah, I think we have created this religious system of, in order to change, you have to try harder. And what I see from the life of Jesus is, no, he says, surrender more, give up. You know, even the Apostle Paul, he calls himself the greatest of all sinners. Like we look at him as the greatest evangelist of all time. And then we wouldn't have the church that we have today without the Apostle Paul. But how he saw himself is, I'm the greatest of all sinners. Why? So that his dependence was always on Jesus and not on his performance and not on his abilities and not on his you know, um, skills in, in keeping the law. And, and so if, if the Apostle Paul needed that reminder of surrender, of giving up, of, of not trying harder, how much more do we? And, you know, I think for, for many of us, um, we look at the things that we struggle with in our past as uh, an inhibitor of God using us. But I love what Brendan Manning says uh, in Abba's Child. He, he talks about the wounded healer. He talks about allowing God to use the things that caused you the most difficulty or the most heartache or were the biggest stumbling blocks for you to allow him to use that to help other people find freedom in that area. And I think that's, um, you know, where I want to leave the reader of the book of, of looking at your life and seeing how God can use some of the most broken parts of your life to help other people find healing. And I want you to listen to what Justin just said. If you're sitting in the car and you're staying there because you got to go in, but you can't, you can't go in just yet because you hear something that tells you there's hope. If you are caught in this pattern and the enemy says, don't tell anybody, stay isolated, don't be vulnerable, don't be transparent, you keep this to yourself, they're not, they're going to reject you. The, the very thing that he is telling you is a lie. What is going to set you free is finding that person that you can talk with about whatever it is that's going on. And maybe it's your marriage that has imploded. Listen to what Justin has said here today, that Justin and, and Tricia are, are uh, the poster people of, no, there's hope. Even if your marriage has gone through all of the the rocks, there's hope. Not because you're so good, but because God is. And if if you're struggling with uh, an addiction of some sort or you're trying to be perfect and you can't, being real is greater. (laughs) Being real and then the greater than sign, being perfect, how transparency leads to transformation. Again, it's our featured resource at chrisfabrylive.org. Justin, there's a lot of hope here. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Again, the book, Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect, at chrisfabrylive.org. Come back tomorrow, because guess who? Jerry Jenkins is going to be here. A lot to talk with, with my pal Jerry, on Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. <laughs>